The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to welcome members of our armed forces who are joining us on the internet today, and also new listeners who are tuning in from Florida, New Hampshire, and Boston to Chicago, Texas, Reno, Albuquerque, and the San Francisco Bay Area. Thank you for being with us today. As we take a deep dive into another difficult but important challenge that our leaders face, the mental illness that is at the heart of drug addiction, suicide, child abuse, and the kind of horrific violence we saw in Oregon. In just a moment, former Congressman Patrick Kennedy will be joining the program to help us understand what it means to struggle with mental illness and what we can and must do to identify these symptoms and and treat these conditions much earlier, long before there are tragic consequences. But before Mr. Kennedy joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about his background. Patrick Joseph Kennedy II was born in Brighton, Massachusetts, the youngest child of Senator Ted Kennedy and Virginia Joan Bennett Kennedy. He earned his undergraduate degree from Providence College in 1991, and Kennedy became the youngest member of the Kennedy clan to hold an elected office when, at the age of 21, he was elected to the Rhode Island House of Representatives. In 1995, Patrick Kennedy was elected to the United States House of Representatives, where he served until 2011. During that time, Kennedy was known for his advocacy for health care reform. He was one of the authors of the Mental Health Parity and Addictions Equity Act, a landmark bill which required public and private health insurance plans to provide coverage for mental illness that was consistent with coverage for physical ailments. But his crusade against the stigma and unfair treatment associated with mental illness was just beginning. In 2008, Mr. Kennedy chose to share his own struggles with bipolar disorder and drug and alcohol addiction with the public. And we're going to hear more about how that decision affected him and the Kennedy family in just a moment. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report, former congressman and sponsor of the Mental Health Parity and Addiction Equity Act, Mr. Patrick Kennedy. Thank you for joining us today, Mr. Kennedy. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Congratulations on the success of your new book, which we're going to talk about in just a few minutes. But before we talk about your struggles with mental illness and addiction, I thought maybe we could start with the big picture uh, just how big is the problem of mental illness? Um, well, do you have all week? <laughs> I mean, not for nothing. I mean, the uh, challenge of reorganizing how we address mental health issues is a challenge that's not just a health care issue. It's obviously an education issue because how can kids learn if they have some untreated mental illness or addiction? It's a challenge of our criminal justice system, which, of course, has become the default uh, institution for a lack of a public health approach to treating mental illness. Most of those with severe mental illness are often jailed and imprisoned. And, of course, there's many more with addiction that's untreated uh, that lands them in in the criminal justice system. And, of course, uh, we see in the disability system through... um, SSDI and the like, that half of all disability that the government pays for, it's a direct result of uh, mental illness, depression, anxiety, the like. So um, you look at also the workforce. So we're not just talking about those with the serious mental illness. We're talking about the average person who might be suffering from a bout of depression or anxiety. Um, 
you know, that is a significant cost to employers in this country in terms of lost productivity, not only in the form of absenteeism, but in the form of what's known as presenteeism. And that's when you're there, but you're not really there. That often is uh, consuming a lot of our workforce um, dollars that could otherwise go to um, a more productive uh, workforce. But the fact that is, there is no treatment or support for people's mental health the same way there would be treatment and support for, for people's physical health. Because keep in mind, mental health is, a, is about the brain, and that's physical. It's just that we haven't yet as a society really embraced what all the scientists tell us, and that is that uh, brain illness is a physical illness like every other organ in the body. Now, according to the CDC, more than 25% of Americans currently suffer from depression. Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death. Uh, homicide, by the way, ranks 16th. Um, we, we have statistics here that 58 million Americans suffer from some kind of mental illness today. In your view, what's causing so much mental illness? Well, this is all part of the human experience. I mean, like other organs of our body break down and, and just like we get sick in other ways, you know, our brain doesn't always work optimally and it gets ill as well. We have to think, totally differently in the sense that we should just treat brain health like we would treat any other part of physical health. And we have the tools to do that. Um, we have the genetic um, underpinning to mental illness, and, you know, propensity for depression, addiction, anxiety, all of which could be traced in a family history, which of course we don't take in the normal uh, course of physical examinations. No one asks do you have alcoholism in your family, addiction? Do you have anxiety, depression? No one's ever thought of our healthcare system uh, working in such a way, but that's what I think we ought to be going in the direction of in the future. Now, so, you once uh, made the point that uh, if the number of people suffering from mental illness were dolphins dying on the shores of the Ohio River, there'd be such an overwhelming public outcry. Yet, uh, as you point out, when it comes to mental illness, uh, we don't seem to be mobilizing. We don't seem to respond, be responding to how big the numbers really are. Well, the numbers are really underrepresentative of a true count because, of course, we don't report these things accurately. I mean, as you point out, suicide is roughly twice the rate of homicide, um, you know, over 40,000, 41,000 people successfully complete suicide a year and many more attempt suicide. We have overdoses now that are uh, surpassed car accidents as a cause of death. I mean, the bottom line is this affects every family in America to some extent or another, and it is something that should impact all of us as to what we want for our children. Do we want to continue to live in a society where we demonize and marginalize those suffering from what's clearly a physical illness, um, but which we ascribe moral failing to. Shouldn't we try to change this, these attitudes that we have towards these illnesses and also change the way our medical system responds to these illnesses? Now, in many cases, there's an unspoken conspiracy when it comes to mental illness. Family members know something is wrong. Teachers, neighbors, employers, even law enforcement might know there's a problem. But yet, yet rather than call it for what it is, uh, we often discover people just try to manage around it. Well, exactly. And uh, the real tragedy in all this is that we now have a law in the books uh, that I had the honor of writing along with uh, Congressman Ramstad, Pete Domenici, and my late father, that guarantees that insurance companies must cover um, mental illness and addiction in the same way they would cancer, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, you know, the whole litany of other physical health conditions. And what that means is we used to tiptoe around this because what were we going to say? You have a problem, but guess what? You're not going to be able to pay for treatment. Now we can say... You know, you have a physical challenge, and guess what? There is treatment out there. And now, I'm not assuming that we have treatment availability the way it should be because the law has just been put into effect. And frankly, there isn't a system in place to actually deal with the uh, size of this challenge. But what I am saying is it will change if we change. If more consumers are out there saying, 
listen, I demand treatment. The law is there to say that I should get it. And if they get denied that treatment, then we need to appeal an insurance company uh, denial. That's right. And many people are calling this bill that you authored and has gone through the civil rights of mental illness because it now creates a provision for everyone. We have to take our first break, but stay right where you are. You're listening to the Costa Report. Big data is changing the way organizations work. From data-driven marketing and ad targeting to the connected car, big data is fueling product innovation and new revenue opportunities. It's creating a culture in which business and IT leaders join forces to realize value from all data. They infuse analytics everywhere and make speed a differentiator, gaining competitive advantage from faster, more informed decisions. Leading organizations are creating new business models, developing new roles, and defining new big data architectures, including an infrastructure that can manage and process exploding volumes of structured and unstructured data, in motion as well as at rest, while protecting data privacy and security. Find out how IBM Big Data and Analytics can transform your business. Visit www.ibm.com slash big data today. I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli of Caraccioli Cellars Wines. So where is the Caraccioli Vineyard located and what varietals do you grow there? Our vineyard's right outside of Gonzales in the Salinas Valley. It's on the inland side of the coastal foothills. So it's basically, if you're driving out of Gonzales and you're on Gonzales River Road, you'll hit River Road and it'll be the bench in front of you. And we only grow two varietals on the whole vineyard, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. It's about 38 different blocks and 124 acres, so it's planted like a true winemaker vineyard with a lot of different clonal and rootstock combinations changing every few acres, so we're really able to take advantage of specific spots in the vineyard and farming them ideally for that place in that vineyard, that clone, and that altitude. Visit the Caraccioli Tasting Room on Dolores Street in Carmel-by-the-Sea, or find us online at caracciolicellars.com. Or reach us by phone, 831-622-7722. People say puffiness and bags under the eyes are the hardest things to get rid of until now. Introducing GenuCell Stem Cell Therapy from Chamonix, specifically targeting eye puffiness and bags. Due to new technology, GenuCell is an incredibly powerful all-natural serum. And with its instant effects, it's guaranteed to show results in as little as 12 hours or your money back. Users saw results in only 12 hours with dramatic improvement in two weeks. A true Chamonix classic, GenuCell contains eight extra ingredients to significantly reduce the appearance of bags and puffiness. Plus, GenuCell uses patented plant stem cell technology to improve longevity and brilliant long-term results. Call now to try GenuCell risk-free, 800-442-3684. Say goodbye to puffiness and bags today. Call in the next 20 minutes and get the legendary Esotique face cream absolutely free just for trying GenuCell today. Chamonix, the best skin care, best results or your money back, no questions asked. 800-442-3684. Get connected with one of California's most exciting business communities every Saturday from 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. on Think Local First Radio. Join local business people as they host local business people for a conversation about doing business and staying in business in Santa Cruz County. This Saturday, join Dix Copatoni from Little Biz, Jill Salito from Modern Life, Matthew Swinnerton from Event Santa Cruz, or Michael Olson from KSCO as they host fascinating business people and true adventures from the Santa Cruz County business community. Think Local First Radio is brought to you by Sock Shop and Shoe Company at 1515 Pacific in downtown Santa Cruz. The first First thing they look at is shoes. And if they see you in shoes and socks from Sock Shop and Shoe Company, they will look up to you. And also buy Staff of Life Natural Foods Market at 1266 Oakdale Avenue in Santa Cruz. Think local first and eat local first by shopping a genuine Santa Cruz tradition. The original Staff of Life Natural Foods Market. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is former congressman and mental health advocate Patrick Kennedy. And before the break, you were making the point that prior to the Mental Health Parity and Addiction Equity Act, 
even if you were diagnosed with a mental illness, you may not have been able to afford the treatment. But this new law requires insurance companies to be responsible for diseases of the brain in the same way that they're responsible for cancer, diabetes, and and other kinds of diseases of the human body. Is that right? The people would have to pay higher co-pays. Um, they often have higher deductibles and and more premiums to pay for this. And even if they were paying all of those, uh, where they wouldn't be if there were some other chronic illness like diabetes or um, asthma or something, they'd also have lower lifetime caps in terms of the access on their health insurance than they would any other physical illness. So basically mental treatment for mental illness and addiction Uh, was nowhere, quote-unquote, on par with the rest of medical care. Now, every time there's a mass shooting, uh, we find out that the perpetrators gave plenty of clues that they were struggling with mental illness to the point of signaling their intentions beforehand on social media or telling friends about what they might like to do. Um, This is true of shooters at Columbine, UC Santa Barbara, Virginia Tech, Sandy Hook, and most recently in Oregon. And and this is where things get kind of tricky because there's very little we can do if a person does not want help. So let me ask you this. From a practical standpoint, what can we really do if we notice unhealthy behaviors? Well, we need to treat this like we would influenza, meningitis, you know, any kind of public health epidemic. What do we have at the Centers for Disease Control? We have real-time data on where there's an outbreak of whatever the illness is because we have a surveillance system that's nationwide that recognizes and identifies any illness so that we have a, a, a handle on it. With mental illness and first incidents of psychosis, we could get real-time information across the country right away on the first incidence of someone having this, usually in their late teens, early 20s, and we could react and respond right away, Rebecca. Mm -hmm. And we could provide the wraparound services, and here's where the community of consumers would love this, because if you intervene on the first incidence of psychosis, what you do is you interrupt the pathology of the illness. In other words, just like with cancer and any other illness, where it goes from stage one to stage four, you do not allow that progression to take place, which means that people with even severe mental illness can live pretty normal lives and, frankly, with a lot lower medication levels than they would have to take as they currently end up having to do because their illness is kind of, you know, disregarded until it becomes a real crisis. Often, the only time we react to these issues is after the person has had their, you know, dozen, you know, psychotic episodes. And by that time, the brain becomes wired in a way that it's hard to reverse things. And in fact, they have to take a lot of medication, which, of course, anyone does not want to take because of the uh, side effects. So for all of our sake, most importantly, for the sake of the person suffering from these illnesses, let's just treat them like we would any other illness and intervene, you know, right away when we know someone is presenting um, symptoms of these illnesses. So I think you're saying that this is a public health concern and it should be processed as such. That's exactly right. And we have the, the uh, plan to do it. It's called the RAISE plan. I don't expect your audience to know or be able to uh, do anything about it, except to know that your government, the United States of America, National Institutes of Mental Health, has the plan. What we don't have, Rebecca, is the political will to get it done. I have repeatedly called on the President of the United States to bring to scale this plan. We could... I believe, in a, in a dramatic way, change the trajectory of all of these events for the future of this country if we today capture uh, in data form all of these incidents and if we have a medical model that wraps around people with these illnesses right away so that we do not allow the illnesses to go 
unchecked and to pathologize for either the patient or for the, the rest of society. I think people really need to understand that like any other disease, diseases of the brain are progressive. If you don't treat them early, they progress. Eventually, the person will be acting out and creating tragedies and victims. So the key here is to grab it while it's early. And, you know, most of these shooters, uh, you you look and they're all over Facebook. I mean, mean, you wouldn't even need a medical degree to diagnose them. Yet, we, as you point out, we lack the will to act. Well, we have a science on this is very strong. We can, as I said, do family histories. If we just treated this like other illnesses, we do family histories. We can even do other biomarker tests um, that allow us to pinpoint who is at high risk for these illnesses and prepare for them. Now, you know, we all know if you're if you have it in your family, breast cancer, stroke, you know, your family's had stroke, high incidence of you know, cardiovascular disease, heart attacks. We we have a plan in place. You take, you know, Lipitor. You know, I'm taking Lipitor, you know, it's 20 years before I'll be at risk for one of these strokes. But the medical system has seen fit to help me avert that, uh, you know, eventuality by taking medication today. Why can't we apply that same idea to those who are high risk for mental illness? There's no reason why we couldn't do it. Well, there's also a number of technologies under development right now that help with the diagnosis, such as facial recognition software. Some of these videos that are being uh, uh, put up on YouTube that are very threatening and and also very disturbing, uh, there are a number of scientists who have applied facial recognition software to them and said that there's every indication that there is mental illness at play. There's the the power of what new technology is going to bring in not only helping us better identify and screen who might be at risk, but also to better help treat and manage uh, these chronic illnesses. I mean, it is awesome. But what isn't happening, coming back to the point, is we know what to do, Rebecca. What we're not doing is, is mustering the political will to do what we know works. And that's the real failure in all of this. It's not that we, we don't know what to do. It's the fact that we do know what to do, but we're not doing it for lack of political will. Well, uh, I couldn't agree with you more, but, you know, somehow when you compare this issue to every other issue that we have in Washington, D.C., I don't know how this issue would be any different. We just don't seem to be able... We have the solutions. We have the technology. We have the medical data. But we just don't seem to be able to move forward and act on them. And uh, I'm not quite sure what the reason for that is, but maybe we can talk about that when we come back from this short break. We'll be right back with more from Patrick Kennedy. You're listening to the Costa Report. Biodiversity is the very fabric of our lives. It is everything around us, all of nature. But human impact is diminishing biodiversity at an alarming rate. And because of that, the intricate web of biodiversity is unraveling in ways we don't fully understand. And our world is becoming less resilient. That's why we are biodiversity advocates. We're the E.O. Wilson Biodiversity Foundation. Guided by the greatest living naturalist, E.O. Wilson, we champion research and education that expands our understanding of biodiversity and informs worldwide conservation efforts. The E.O. Wilson Biodiversity Foundation is building a movement of environmental stewards like you who share our sense of responsibility for the living world that is our home. Join us in our quest to protect biodiversity, the fabric of our lives. Visit eowilsonfoundation.org.
This is Sylvia Panetta inviting you to join us for the Panetta Institute's Jefferson Lincoln Awards on Saturday, November 14th. This year, we'll honor four journalists who cover our men and women in uniform and American politics. CBS Scott Pelley and Dave Martin, ABC's Martha Raddatz, and NBC's Jim Miklaszewski. We honor these people whose unbiased journalism provides the information we need to be informed as voters in our democracy. For more information, call 831-582-4200. Many questions cloud the 1937 disappearance of Amelia Earhart. Was she captured by the Japanese? A spy for the U.S. Did the plane safely land elsewhere? Thursday, October 15th, 7.30 p.m., Room 450, Cabrillo College, Dr. Tom King will talk about archaeology on Nikumamoro. New answers to old questions? Please join me, Karen Johansson, and the Santa Cruz Archaeological Society, October 15th, 7.30 p.m., Room 450, Cabrillo College. Hi, Registered Pharmacist Ben Fuchs here. I've been studying healthy bodies for 35 years, and what I've got to tell you may shock and surprise you, but if you listen up, it may change your life. Fibromyalgia is a Latin term meaning muscle fiber pain, best thought of as a sign of toxicity, specifically blood toxicity. Dr. John Kavaris discovered that women given an injection of the blood thinner heparin reported that their fibromyalgia symptoms were dramatically reduced. He developed the hypercoagulation theory of fibromyalgia that postulated that sticky clogged blood following toxicity resulted in the deposition of clotting proteins and other poisons into the muscle. And where was the most likely source of the toxicity? The digestive tract and specifically the small intestine. The small intestine is the home of the microbiome, trillions of bacterial cells made up of many hundreds of strains, and they make vitamins that help us digest our food and detoxify poisons. If there are long-standing digestive issues, especially in the processing of fats, over time, these proportions get thrown off and the wrong types of bacterial strains can proliferate. Because these bacteria are constantly secreting waste materials, eventually the body will mount an immune defensive response and an inflammatory reaction will ensue. Eventually, the blood can become contaminated and the major blood response response to this kind of contamination is clotting. If you're suffering from fibromyalgia or inflammatory pain issues, try eating fermented veggies. I like sauerkraut and beets. Pickles are good, too. You can make your own fermented veggies pretty easily, basically by mashing or cutting up veggies and adding some bacterial starter and salt. And you'd be wise to use a good probiotic supplement on a regular basis. And make sure you use a product that has multiple bacterial strains. Pharmacist Ben here, urging you to go to kscohealth.com to order Beyond Tangy Tangerine, the Healthy Start Pack, and other nutritional supplements that I personally use and recommend. You can Purchase these premium quality products at wholesale prices online at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. I'm a pharmacist that believes that staying healthy and strong is not only about medicine, it's about giving your body the raw materials it needs to do its work. Go to kscohealth.com. Make sure you check out the cool videos, too, at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, my guest today is Patrick Kennedy. Now, I want to be sure we talk about your new book, A Common Struggle. Uh, in addition to your personal battle with bipolar disorder and addiction, you also talk about the challenges that other family members faced. And the feeling I came away with is that when you're born into a family with a reputation and a legacy to uphold, such as the Kennedy name, this makes it a lot more difficult to face this issue and seek help. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, obviously, we all want to keep these issues uh, under wraps. None of us want to talk about the fact that one of our family members, or of course ourselves, are dealing with addiction or mental illness because they're shaming illnesses and secrets are kept, and it's hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. And there's no wonder that so many mental illnesses and addictions get worse because we try to manage them ourselves um, and not let anyone find out about them. And then that just makes the illness worse. And so the real key here is, first, beginning to get a conversation going when we think someone in our family is suffering, and also to have, not be, have it be judgmental, maybe our medical system would, would reduce the sense that this is different if they just incorporated a checkup from the neck up in all of the medical exams that you get already from your primary care physician throughout all of your medical uh, treatment. That, I think, will help go a long way to reduce the attitudes that this is something 
how different from overall physical health. Um, my own family is an example. I think my my late father, you know, saw his, his brother's murdered, uh, and you know, today, uh, if if you experience what he experienced back in the '60s when he lost his two brothers, President Kennedy and Robert Kennedy, it's hard to imagine today where where he would get a great deal of care for his post-traumatic stress in the same way we're demanding that care be provided our veterans. Because everyone acknowledges today that the brain can receive this trauma uh, in the form of, you know, the psychic trauma that comes uh, from experiencing these kinds of horrific uh, events, whether it's on the battlefield in Iraq and Afghanistan or in the event that, you know, families across America are, are victims of some kind of trauma or violence. I mean, we know that affects the brain in profound ways, and we now have treatment available, and we need to make sure that continues to move in the right direction. I think it's quite amazing that we think that because your father was Ted Kennedy, that somehow he would be immune to post-traumatic stress when both of his brothers were murdered. I mean, why is it that the public thinks that somehow... If your name is Kennedy, you, you, you won't have any difficulties. Well, I don't know if it's so much that. We were in public life, and it, it's very, um, the stigma's so strong. Um, you've had repeated examples of where people had been treated for anything being kind of um, dismissed politically. So there was a powerful incentive to keep quiet. But again, that was the 60s, 70s, even 80s, we're starting to uh, change in our country. The real question is how quickly are we changing? I think for the sake of all of our family members and for our veterans returning back who have these signature wounds of war trauma, we need to change the conversation in this country and ensure that overall health includes mental health because there's no health without mental health. Absolutely. Now, I'm glad you bring this up because problems like addiction or, or even uh, post-traumatic stress, they, they take a long time to lick and, and multiple tries. In your book, A Common Struggle, you point out that you've checked yourself into rehab a number of times, and it's something that you have to be diligent and work on every day. Uh, and, and, but you look at this in a similar way that uh, diabetics check uh, their blood sugar every day. That's right. That's right. That's right. So I have a chronic illness of addiction, alcoholism. Uh, I have to treat it the same way someone could treat their diabetes or prophylactically their asthma or whatever. Um, And I just do it in various ways. I take medication for my uh, bipolar disorder, and I also uh, do cognitive behavioral therapy, 12-step meetings, uh, type approaches to making sure that on a daily basis I'm on top of, of this illness. Now, you know, historically, you know, we treated these illnesses only in an acute care model, which is the reason why I continue to check myself into treatment, is that there was no uh, conception of what chronic care uh, model of delivery looked like for people suffering from mental illness and addiction. That needs to change because our system cannot absorb everyone who continues to go back to the emergency room because of the symptoms of their addiction or mental illness, or it goes back to uh, rehab or what have you. We need a system which manages these illnesses, like, as you point out, like they would manage diabetes. Now, as you pointed out, a lot of this starts with a physician. I'll share with you a personal story. My mother was a bona fide alcoholic, but a very high-functioning alcoholic, which is really tricky stuff when you're a kid. Because, you know, right. you're, you're noticing the drinking, but somehow your mom is getting dinner on the table and she's showing up for the school functions. And so it's very, very difficult to explain to someone, hey, there's, there, there's a problem here. Uh, but had even one physician asked my mother a few telling questions and made some suggestions to her that she might want to get some kind of help or treatment, it would have made all the difference in the world. It really couldn't come from her children. It really couldn't come from a family member because no matter how you put it, my mother felt it was a judgment. Right. So 
wouldn't it be great if we also had a totally different paradigm of looking at these issues? So instead of waiting till someone was clearly uh, not managing well and having trouble, that we inculcated in everyone how great it would be to always try to stay optimally healthy, not only physically, but mentally. What I'm talking about here is the military. Um, our special forces invest more in mental health than any other branch of the military. And you say to yourself, why would they need mental health? Well, they look at mental health care not in the negative lens that we do. Oh, you need to do that after someone has a problem. Don't be judgmental. They look at mental health as something you do as a force multiplier. So what that means is we've trained our military to do extraordinary things. And guess what we figured out? They do those things even better if they're mentally fit. Now, I know America. America loves, you know, being more beautiful, richer, happier, all the rest. We would love to have something more of that would give us greater quality of life and lead to greater contentment. I just can't believe that our country would not embrace stronger mental health as something that's for everybody, not just people who've had uh, bumps along the road and run into these illnesses in a greater, to a greater extent than, than the rest of us. Everyone needs this uh, and to varying degrees. And so all of us ought to be invested in coming up with a better system. Well, absolutely, but you unfortunately don't hear any of the candidates talking about this, which, you know, indicates to me that very little is getting done and uh, the situation will progress. And unfortunately, we've become a very reactive society. That's right. You know, yeah, no, we, we have uh, tools to be to act prophylactically. We have foresight. We have knowledge. Uh, and yet we wait till these situations, you know, I mean, how many mass shootings a year is it going to take? We used to have these incidences once every 50 years, then once every 10 years. Now it's every year. Well, you know, going back to the fact of your own family situation, there's so many families in America, people who are listening to your program now, who come from a family where one or both parents had uh, depression or alcoholism, anxiety, something and it's surprising that we go to the higher risk that we all face because one of our parents dealt with one of these illnesses. Yes, absolutely. I know there's a lot of listeners today that are nodding their head up and down and saying, yes, I've had it in my family as well. Um, we have to take our final break. We'll be back after these important messages from our sponsors. You're listening to the Costa Report. Do you love creating salads as much as you enjoy eating them? Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Dole inspires fresh and wholesome dishes for any meal with their wide selection of salad blends and all-natural salad kits. From the mild and tender texture of sweet butter lettuce to the crunch of classic romaine sprinkled with colorful shredded carrots and red cabbage, Dole has over 30 salad blends to satisfy every palate. If you're looking for the ultimate in convenience, try Dole's unique salad kit combinations that include farm-fresh lettuces and vegetables, mouth-watering all-natural toppings, and specially made dressings. It's all you need to make a distinctively delicious salad. The possibilities are endless. Visit www.dolesalads.com for recipes and other ideas to feed your culinary imagination. If you're wondering what to do with all that data you're creating, do I have an offer for you? Tableau is drag-and-drop software that people of any skill level can use to analyze and turn data into something actionable. That's right. I said actionable. And isn't that what all that data is for? With Tableau, you can connect to any data in virtually any format and visualize it on the fly. Databases, spreadsheets, even big data sources are instantly combined into usable charts, graphs, reports, and dashboards. People can analyze data and drag and 
drop at 10 times the speed of a traditional business intelligence system. But the most impressive thing about Tableau is that anyone can use it. And just to prove the point, you can get a free 14-day trial from Tableau just by mentioning you heard this ad. But do it now, because this offer won't last. For your free 14-day trial, visit Tableau at T-A-B-L-E-A-U dot com slash Costa. That's Tableau.com slash Costa. Tableau Software. What's your data trying to tell you? Hi, Charles Friedman here at Watsonville Auto Row, where the way things used to be is the way things are. What do Watsonville Auto Center's small town values mean for you? Let's ask Milton Woods of Frantic Chrysler Dodge Jeep. Hi, this is Milton Wood over here at Marty Franich Auto Group, the sales manager, and we have been in the business here since 1933. We have goodwill, we have the best relationships in the community, our staff is trained and ready to help you, our prices are fair, and our products are excellent. Like I said, I'm a manager and I'm always available for you. And we always care about our customers and our community first. October is Used Car Savings Month at Watsonville's Auto Center. Get huge savings on a quality pre-owned car or truck. Hundreds on the lots, price to sell. Don't wait. Take the short drive to the way things used to be and save big at Watsonville Auto Center, just off Highway 1 at Main Street and Auto Center Drive. Watsonville Auto Row, where the way things used to be is the way things are. For the last 60 years, Coast Paper and Supply has been serving locals and businesses for all their cleaning and paper supply needs. With an 1,800-square-foot showroom and nearly 5,000 products, you'll find everything you're looking for in the way of janitorial supplies, retail and industrial packaging, and disposable food service products for business or home, not to mention their huge selection of boxes and shipping supplies. Their family-owned and operated business is located at 151 Josephine on River Street in Santa Cruz. Call 831-423-3350 or visit Coast Paper Supply. Inc.com, a proud member of Think Local First. Sting has a birthday today. The police sing a song oh, like That's him. a weird what? gift. What? Just of all the things we know about his personal life. I know. What would you give him? It's not what you give him. It's more like a what do you let him do? Oh, don't. It's breakfast time. Now with him, it's always breakfast time. <laughs> I don't even know. You don't even know what that means. Don't miss Good Morning Monterey Bay weekdays, 6 to 9 a.m. on KSEO AM 1080. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, my guest today is Patrick Kennedy. So let's switch gears here and talk about treatments, because according to a recent study, 80 to 90 percent of the people that actually seek treatment for mental illnesses like depression are treated successfully using therapy and medication. So this is something we have a pretty high success rate dealing with. Is that right? Yes, if we employ evidence-based models of treatment. But of course, that's uh difficult to do when insurance companies don't pay for those models. And what we need to change is, you know, how they're paying because they recognize that it's a savings when they calculate all the reductions in the physical health costs that a person has because of the treatment of the underlying mental health or addiction uh, that someone may have. So the evidence is really clear here. The return on investment is really in the reduction of the hospital visits, irritable back pain, irritable bowel, you know, all the contusions, lacerations, things that happen as a symptom of untreated alcoholism, addiction, or mental illness. If we treated these illnesses, you'll see much higher uh, success in treating every other physical health issue. And that would more than offset the cost of the additional treatment for the mental health and addiction treatment. Now, you've also pointed out that many of our prisons and jails are being misused as asylums because we don't have another plan for dealing with mental illness. So imprisonment has become the default. we, we do, but we have ways now. So they have great examples around the country of diverting people with severe mental illness from being rearrested at 80, 90 percent within a year because they have no stable housing or case management. So for people with schizophrenia who are constantly re, uh, getting rearrested, if we manage their care through intensive case management and supportive housing, 
you dramatically drop not only the rearrest rate, but all the police time, all the court time, all the jail time, which is all taxpayer dollars. You dramatically reduce that spend, and you could use the savings to uh, allow people to have supportive living so that they don't end up back in jail. So many of these incidents are minor uh, events, and the fact that these people are so poor, they never could pay for uh, any kind of, uh, of the fines that come with them, which means they're always locked in the cycle of being in jail. It just doesn't make sense in a, in a humanity sense, but also in a dollars and cents uh, perspective. Well, let's talk about dollars and cents. Um uh, I, I wanted to take a moment to talk about the recent move by many states to make marijuana use legal, and you've come out very strongly against this trend. Can you talk about that for a moment? Well, I'm just worried about the prevalence rate of marijuana use amongst kids because we know the developing brain through adolescence is a crucial time, and you know we ought to be doing everything in our power as a society to protect kids from a for-profit industry that's trying to get them hooked. So the problem with uh, commercializing marijuana is that it will come in the form of, of edibles. That's candy, brownies, you name it. It'll also come in the form of what's known as elixirs. Those are soft drinks with THC. My point is, is that most people, when they think of uh, legalization, they think of uh, a couple of joints on a weekend, and what's it a bother? I think we pay a much higher cost for legalization than we realize as a nation. And that's why I think we need to uh, really reexamine our, our fast-track approach to legalization and commercialization of this, uh, of this THC. And yet every state in the union is in financial trouble, and there's no question this is one way to tap a very large tax, as Colorado's now demonstrating. So from that standpoint, it looks like more and more states are going to legalize pot. Uh, and there's another reason, too, to keep the pot users out of jail, which is uh, something that y- you've also addressed. So all of that makes sense on the face of it, unless you look at the real numbers. The real numbers are with alcohol, Okay. We, we, we ended prohibition, but do any of us think that our arrest rate has gone, uh, you know, hasn't gone up <laughs> as a result of that? I mean, we've got That's people a good point. for loitering, drunken driving, all the kinds of things that happen fueled by alcohol. And by the way, we all pay the price for that, and the liquor industry makes all the money. So I'm, I'm really suspect of the notion that there's going to be a real windfall of proceeds, because I think we'll, we'll realize the cost of this in a whole host of other areas, mm-hmm. none the least of which is the lost potential of, of many of our youth who, uh, you know, may have a propensity for addiction, because as I talked about earlier, it may run in their family. And now, in addition to seeing all those liquor ads, they're going to have marijuana at every corner. Well, you know, I just don't think that sets up a very good environment. Now, you know, it is true that if you have a commercial industry that's like advertising, you just make it more difficult to get the public health message out. So we know for a fact more kids are using today than did before, and it's a direct result of this lowering of our risk of, in terms of our perception of what this does to our our society. And I think lowering that risk leads to higher usage and, you know, of course, making it more available will lead to higher usage. I don't know yet what the ultimate impact of it will be, but I think it'll be a huge cost on all of us. Well, I have to say I'm not a marijuana user, but as soon as they put marijuana in glazed donuts, I'm going to be in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I, I am. I, 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 you know, that that's going to be a real issue for me. Now, one last question of the candidates that are running today, both on the Democratic and Republic's, Republican side. Uh, is there one that you feel speaks to mental illness the most? And, and, and who do you consider to be most knowledgeable on the subject? Well, what I want to see from all candidates on the Republican and Democratic side is a real articulation that this is a national crisis affecting our returning veterans, affecting our workforce, affecting our criminal justice system, 
affecting our education system. I want all of the cast to think about this in many different perspectives. That's why I started the nowcampaign.org. It's, it's an uh, opportunity for us to reach out to both Republicans and Democrats to get them committed on these issues because we all need all of the candidates to have a sound position on this. Um, you know, and, and by the way, we didn't pass parity without getting Republicans and Democrats alike because mental right. illness and addiction is affecting Republican families and Democratic families. This is not a partisan issue. Uh, for other partisan reasons, I, I of course, uh, am a Democrat, but I'm saying for the purpose of this cause, I think we really need to make this a bipartisan effort. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, and I and I appreciate you saying that this is a bipartisan uh, issue, as so many are, and they get turned uh, politicized. So I appreciate you making that comment. Unfortunately, that is all the time that we've got left today. But before we say goodbye, I do want to thank you for your public service and for bringing an issue which affects a quarter of the U.S. population into light. Thank you, Mr. Kennedy. Thank you, Rebecca. If you have a question or a comment to make about our interview with Patrick Kennedy today, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. We're easy to reach and we welcome your comments. And if you know someone who may be struggling with their emotions or addiction, violent tendencies, or just getting a handle on reality, if you encounter a post on social media that's disturbing, please don't wait to act. Even if you feel like it's none of your business, even if you figure they'll get help if they want it, even if it feels uncomfortable to do something, to speak up, please act. No problem ever got solved by sweeping it under the rug. And more importantly, don't give up. Persistence pays off. Imagine if we threw up our hands on diabetes or cancer. Well, diseases of the brain are no different. And if they aren't treated, they progress. And soon people are acting out in ways that create very real victims. The only way around that is if healthy people are willing to step up when they see that something is wrong. My guest next week is former governor of Virginia and presidential candidate, Mr. Jim Gilmore, who says he has the experience the other GOP candidates lack. He's been called the hermit and stealth candidate. But we're going to check in with him and see what he's really got up his sleeve. Don't miss candidate Jim Gilmore next week on the only program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for a second hour of Straight Talk Radio. You're listening to the Costa Report. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management